Now, for those of you that may not be familiar with the Bible, great to have you here. In uh, the New Testament, there are the first four books are what are called the Gospels. It's basically an eyewitness testimony to when Christ was on the earth. And so this is one of the guys that was with him who was a doctor. And so you know he's very detailed, has given us a record of uh, the life of Christ. And that was Luke. So uh, Luke 24, starting with verse 1, it says this. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he told you while he was in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. And Father, we marvel today at what happened. A man named Jesus could be in a grave three days and rise. And it's upon that hope that we pin our aspirations of eternal life. Lord, I know that philosophers in the past have decried this as just fearful humans who can't face the reality of death. And yet, we know that this is not blind faith but something that is rooted in uh, things that we can verify. And so we thank you for the resurrection. And I pray for each and every heart here today that we can come to a better understanding and even come into a relationship with you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, today, Christians around the world celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I have a question is religious truth separate from facts? Separate from science? Do facts have any bearing upon religious truth? Now, maybe you have experienced a tension between faith and facts or science, and it's caused you to perhaps suspend your belief in God. First of all, I just want to tell you, we welcome your questions. We understand the doubt. And most of us who try to think seriously about these things have come to that place as well. But in particular, do facts have anything to do with the resurrection of Christ, or is it just a blind leap? Noted atheist Richard Dawkins had this to say. The virgin birth, the resurrection, the raising of Lazarus, 
even the Old Testament miracles, are all freely used for religious propaganda, and they are very effective with an audience of unsophisticates and children. So, turn to the person next to you who believes the resurrection, said, did you know you're a child and unsophisticated? All right? No, don't do that. Are Christians just kidding themselves? Believing these kinds of things? Believing in miracles? And particularly believing in the resurrection of Christ? Does a person have to suspend critical judgment in order to believe in something like a man rising from the dead? Now, before we answer these questions, I want to build on a simple premise. And I I hope that uh, from here we can at least have some agreement that, that faith is not belief in the absence of evidence. A lot of people believe this. But rather, faith can be corroborated through evidence. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say every Christian believes this, because they don't. <laughs> Talk to a lot of people who think that, that faith is something you believe in spite of evidence. Now, I don't hold to that view, but, but many do. Uh, and certainly, religious people have made false claims that cannot be verified. But the resurrection seems to me to be something entirely different. The resurrection does not have the feel of a false claim because it is rooted in history and eyewitness testimony. It's not just a a naked claim, but the record of an event. Now, science can help us a lot in helping us to distinguish between, you know, what's real and what's counterfeit. And I certainly don't think that uh, faith and science are incompatible. Many view faith and facts as having no relationship, but I would like to submit to you today that there is a relationship and should be a relationship of faith to facts. Let me illustrate it this way. In my hand, I'm holding something, okay? Anybody guess what it is I'm holding? It'd be impossible for you to know what I'm holding. I suppose if you had a million guesses, you might come up with it. But for you to guess what is in my hand, that would be blind faith. You have no evidence. Now, maybe you could eliminate some things, like if I told you, in my hand is a lawnmower, all right? You would know that that's a false claim, that that's not true, because my hand simply cannot encompass a lawnmower, right? So at least from there, you know, you can eliminate some things. But let's take it even further. I'm going to ask all of us to close our eyes. Close your eyes. I promise we'll be safe, all right? Close your eyes. I'm going to drop it. Now, don't look, and I want you to just have this as some evidence and just listen real closely. Okay, now you can open your eyes. Now, you heard it hit the floor. Any guesses? Okay, all right. All good guesses, all good guesses. None of them are right, but those are good guesses, all right? Now, what I'm going to do is show this side what it is, okay? 
Okay. 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 See it? All right. Now, all of you on this side, you go ahead and tell the people over here what it is. All of you agree with that? What is it again? Okay. Now, what is it? Are you sure? How sure can you be? You have not seen it, but you're telling me it's a bolt with a nut on it and a washer. I'm going to tell you it's a bolt with a nut on it and a washer. Now, I'm not the nut, but there's a nut on, <laughs> on a scale of 1 to 10, how sure of can you be that it's a, a bolt with a nut? You have eyewitness testimony. You heard it drop. You've eliminated that it's a lawnmower. I told you that it's a bolt. So how sure are you? On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being sure. Yeah. It's high, right? High probability, okay? So you didn't see it, but you have evidence. Now, you can verify that. You can see it. I want to suggest that the belief that Jesus rose from the dead, we weren't there, or even the belief in the existence of God for that matter, has evidence even though you don't see it. And that we can have reason to believe something even if we weren't there. Like eyewitness testimony. Right? Very important. So, Faith is not belief in the absence of evidence, but rather faith can be corroborated through the evidence. And reasoning, proper reasoning, considers these things and adds that to the basket of faith. And I would suggest that your faith is as strong as the evidence. Now, there's a blind faith without evidence. I'm not disagreeing that, you know, people do that. But that is not the kind of faith that is being asked of us with Christ. We have not seen God, we've not seen Christ rise from the dead, but we have eyewitness testimony. We have written testimony. And we have other evidence. So we can have a faith that works alongside facts. And we believe that given the facts, the best option is that there is a God who exists, who loves us, and he rose Jesus from the grave. And God has seen fit to give enough evidence so that open-minded individuals who are sincere in their pursuits can come to that conclusion. And so faith is merely taking a step toward the evidence. So I'm not one to just buy naked claims. Right? And many religions will do that. But the claim of a risen Christ is something quite different. Now, I'm also not going to suppose that the evidence is going to convince everybody, because it's not. Some people don't like where the evidence leads. They don't want those implications. We certainly understand that. Listen to this quote. And by the way, that's true for religious people and irreligious people. Right? I mean, that, that, that cuts both ways. 
But here's a, here's a quote from an avowed atheist, Thomas Nagel said this, and speaking of the fear of religion, I'm talking about the fear of religion itself. I speak from experience being strongly subject to this fear myself. I want atheism to be true. I'm made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right in my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. My guess is that this cosmic authority problem is not a rare condition and that it is responsible for much of the scientism and reductionism of our time. Wow. I appreciate the honesty. Now, the the, the tendency to persevere in an opinion despite the evidence, I think that's something we've all succumb to, right? I mean, I really believe the Cardinals were going to win last year. (laughs) But the evidence is, no, it didn't happen. This idea of persevering an opinion against all evidence reminds me of an anecdote by John Warwick Montgomery. He wrote this. He said, once upon a time, there was a man who thought he was dead. That's a weird malady. I think I'm dead, right? His concerned wife and friends sent him to the friendly neighborhood psychiatrist. The psychiatrist determined to cure him by convincing him of one fact that contradicted his belief that he was dead. The fact the psychiatrist decided to use was the simple truth that dead men do not bleed. He put his patient to work, reading medical texts, observing autopsies, etc. After weeks of effort, the patient finally said, All right, all right, you've convinced me. Dead men do not bleed. Whereupon the psychiatrist stuck him in the arm with a needle and the blood flowed. The man looked down with a contorted, ashen face and cried, Good Lord, dead men bleed after all. (laughs) So may the evidence steer us toward the fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. Let me submit some evidence. Number one, the most obvious evidence, there was an empty tomb. An empty tomb. The disciples of Christ were proclaiming in the very town where he rose from the dead that Christ had risen. They didn't go off to Athens. They didn't go off to Rome. Rather, they went to the city of Jerusalem where if they were teaching something that was false, it would have been very easily disproved. All you had to do was go to the grave and see the body. And then you could say, these guys are whacked, claiming that he rose from the dead. The Jews, the Romans, the Pharisees would have loved to disprove this fact. But the body wasn't there. One scholar said, the resurrection could have not been maintained in Jerusalem for a single day, for a single hour, if the emptiness of the tomb had not been established as a fact for all concerned. Fact number two, the training of the Roman guard. Roman military discipline was exceptional, and it was Roman guards who were given the task of seeing to the tomb. And dereliction of duty for a Roman guard, you know what that meant? That meant death. And it was a gruesome death. Sometimes they would burn the Roman guards with their very clothes. They would take their clothes off 
and start a fire with their clothes and other items and burn them alive. Dr. George Curry, a student of Roman military discipline, wrote that fear of punishment produced flawless attention to duty, especially in the night watches. And so to think that the disciples who, by the way, ran during the crucifixion time, now all of a sudden got enough courage to, you know, somehow steal the body in the face of these Roman guards? I doubt it. Fact number three, the appearances of Jesus confirmed. There were hundreds of eyewitness testimony to the fact that this man who died on a cross is now walking around. When the Apostle Paul wrote of some of this evidence in 1 Corinthians 15 of the resurrection, many of these same witnesses were still alive. And they could testify to this. There is no credible historical record to refute the resurrection. What you have are people who don't like the fact of the resurrection, so they say, well, it didn't really happen, blah, 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 but they can't refute it with evidence. Number four, transformed lives of the disciples. As I mentioned, the original disciples scattered at the crucifixion. They did not understand or believe what Jesus had said to them all along, that he was going to die, and then he was going to rise again in three days. And after the resurrection, these disciples who didn't want to have anything to do with Jesus up to that, or during that crucifixion time, because they didn't want their heads on the chopping block, right? There was only one that was actually at the cross. After the resurrection... They suddenly and sincerely came to believe that Jesus rose from the dead despite their predisposition to the contrary. So something changed their mind dramatically. And by preaching that Christ had risen from the dead, they had to face significant opposition from government authorities and religious authorities. And as a reward for their efforts and other Christians who were saying that Jesus rose from the dead, they were beaten, they were tortured, they were stoned to death, they were thrown to lions, and some were even crucified. Every conceivable method was used to shut these people up. Yet they couldn't deny what they saw. And again, people who were cowards before, they were laying down their lives now. And that perhaps gives us some pretty good evidence that something dramatic took place. Now, do these actions sound like the group who's gathered together for a conspiracy? Hmm. You know, people have offered some other explanations for the resurrection. Uh, one explanation was that the disciples of Christ entered into a cons conspiracy to steal the body. But given the Roman guards, given their you know, predisposition, why would they do that? Uh, another story is that Jesus did not actually die, that he swooned while he was up on a cross, like this deep sleep. And then when he, 
went into the grave, he, he came back. But that denies the fact that these Roman guards were experts at crucifixion. And their life was on the line if they didn't kill the subject. And finally, another theory, this one might be my favorite, is that everybody hallucinated. Hundreds of people had the same hallucination. So this is our first biblical account of LSD being used by other people. The only problem with all of these theories is that there's no evidence for it. Professor Thomas Arnold, author of the famous three-volume History of Rome, was an academic lightweight. He was also chair of modern history at Oxford. He said this, he said, I've been used for many years to study the histories of other times and to examine and weigh the evidence of those who've written about them. And I know of no one fact in the history of mankind which is proved by better and fuller evidence of every sort to the understanding of a fair inquirer than the great sign which God has given us that Christ died and rose again from the dead. Simon Greenleaf, one of the greatest legal minds our country has ever known, it was the famous royal professor of law at Harvard. And while professor of law at Harvard, Greenleaf concluded that the resurrection of Christ was one of the best supported events in history according to the laws of legal evidence administered in courts of law. So, if he really did rise from the dead, and if, as we as Christians do, we claim that he is actually still alive, then does that mean that just like those lives were transformed, does that mean he can transform lives today? That actually gets to fact number five, because I believe lives are continuing to be transformed today because of the resurrection power of Jesus. How do you explain a man or a woman having their life completely changed? I mean, experts say that just doesn't happen for human beings. Many believe behavior is hardwired into each and every human being. Others say that our environment or culture forms our behavior. In other words, we have internal and external forces that prohibit any real change. And we really can't expect true transformation of human beings, like the very nature of human beings changing. And yet, the claim of Christians is that Jesus is alive and does that. And we see the evidence for that with many of you who are sitting right here, who've experienced transformed lives. And I could give you specific stories of people who've had their hearts changed. I mean, how can a heart, human heart, change from a, a religious person steeped in religion and then casting that aside and now realizing that there's a vital abiding relationship with Christ that they can have? How can a, a selfish person change into a loving one? How can a person who lived a, a life of crime and spent most of their adult years in prison change and be transformed by Christ to where I get letters from other inmates 
asking me how that could happen because of this individual who was so transformed by Christ. How does that happen? I mean, how can a person face incredible odds where every external circumstance and that, that, that happens to them gives them, you'd think, reason to just end their life or flee. And yet, they see in this relationship with God something of, of lasting value. In the following video, you're going to hear from one of our own members, Joe Eldred. He went through unspeakable horrors only to come face to face with God's grace. And let me say, as kind of a qualification here, this is his story. His story mentions a particular religious movement. We're not here to dog a religious movement, but we're just going to let him freely tell his story, and you can take it for what it's worth. Check this out. I love that man. You know, the story doesn't end there. It may feel like uh, God's piling on. He stepped on a piece of glass, Joe did. His leg got infected, had to amputate his leg after all this other had happened. You know, Christians like to use the miracle word a lot. To me, one of the greatest miracles is to have something like that happen to you. And that a man or woman could still operate in love, not be bitter, can recognize the presence of God, that to me is just as miraculous as if, if God were to heal somebody of cancer, having that happen to you, and then to still be such a loving, grace-filled person like Joe is, that to me is genuine transformation. God has the power to make a dead Messiah rise again. And he has the power to transform our lives today. Let's pray.